0: The C.S. Lewis Podcast
1: with Alistair McGrath.
0: You are listening to a special episode of the C.S. Lewis Podcast with Professor Alistair McGrath. I'm Ruth Jackson and over the first series, Alistair and I will be looking at some of Lewis's thoughts around significant topics such as the meaning of life, suffering and the hope of heaven. You can find out more about the C.S. Lewis podcast by heading to cslewispodcast.com. C.S. Lewis is one of the most influential voices in modern Christianity. The 20th century British writer and lay theologian has profoundly impacted Christians around the world and brought many atheists and agnostics to faith in Jesus. One person whose faith was greatly encouraged by the writings of C.S. Lewis is Professor Alistair McGrath. Both men were raised in Northern Ireland, studied at Oxford University and went on to become professors there. They also both came to faith from atheism slightly later in life. Alistair has written numerous books on C.S. Lewis, including a seminal biography, C.S. Lewis, A Life which is published by Hodder. If you would like to get your hands on a free copy of this book, then we would love you to post about the C.S. Lewis podcast on social media. Use the hashtag #CSLewisPodcast Lewis podcast on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram and include a link to our website, cslewispodcast.com. Com. If you enjoy this podcast, please don't forget to like, rate and subscribe on whatever podcast platform you use. And obviously, the more you share about the podcast, the more likely you are to win one of Professor Alistair McGrath's books. On today's episode, we are sharing part of a live stream that we recorded with Alistair during one of the coronavirus lockdowns here in the UK. The host of Unbelievable, Justin Briley, and his wife Lucy joined me for a live Q&A with Alistair McGrath. In addition to audience questions, we also asked him about his new memoir, Through a Glass Darkly. This programme was originally broadcast on Unbelievable in October 2020, and I'll include a link in the podcast notes if you want to listen back to the whole Q&A.
2: Alistair, um, it's so good to have you with us today. Um, How have the last seven months or so treated you? Well, Justin, seven months ago, I had never heard of Zoom. (laughs) (laughs) It's one of those things I've
1: discovered. And I think it's great. It means I can keep in touch with all my students who I'm not allowed to meet. But I'm just seeing them as, as faces on screens. now. I wish I could say hello or make them a cup of tea or something. So it all, it's all very strange. And I'm not sure I like this new world.
2: <laughs> no, no, I'm not sure anyone would have chosen this. Um, but I, I mean, h- how have you found it in terms of pursuing your studies? Um, have you found actually some, some, some academics I've spoken to have quite enjoyed sort of not having to go off, jet off to conferences and things and actually being able to concentrate from home. But what, what's the experience been like for you on that front?
1: It's much easier because I still go to conferences, but I go virtually. So I have to fly anywhere. Um, And of course, um, all the books and articles I need are available online. So I can do everything from this study here. It was a very small study, but I can get everything I want. So actually, I'm one of the very few people who probably has actually found this crisis to be less unbearable than others have.
2: Yes. Um, What about church? Have you missed sort of being able to gather in person? Have you been able to do that more recently? No, I I go to church
1: virtually uh, and it's not the same thing, I have to say. And I'm sure everyone listening will feel that experience as well, that really we seem to be missing something very important. And we're just all wondering when
2: are we going to get it back? Absolutely. Yes, that's been our experiences as, as well. We're, we're, we're hoping for things to normalise when when they can. Um, anyway, um, uh, we've got a wonderful new book from you um, through a glass darkly. I'm going to hold it up to the screen there. Um Journeys through science, faith and doubt. Um, and Ruth is going to kick us off here because uh, Ruth gave it a glowing review in Premier Christianity magazine just recently. So, Ruth, why don't you lead us off here with uh, some questions and then we'll, we'll we'll go to some of the questions that we've had coming in uh, via the Facebook and YouTube.
0: Sure. So I guess the first question, Alistair, um, I love the title. Like, what was behind the title? What was the reason for that title through A Glass Darkly?
1: I think it's all because when i was when I was a teenager, I longed for absolute certainty. I wanted to know exactly what was right, I couldn't cope with ambiguity I couldn't cope with any degree of uncertainty, and in one sense the the, the book is describing how I realized that actually you couldn't be absolutely certain in the sense that you cannot prove things that really matter to be true, even though in your heart you know they are. And so Through a Glass Darkly, of course, is from Paul's head to the first head to Corinthians chapter 13. It's very much this idea that here on earth we, we kind of always see things a bit fuzzily, but one day we will see them as they really are. But actually we can learn to live with that. We do not need to be able to prove our core beliefs. We can trust they are right and get on with the business of Christian living.
0: And it's kind of a, a memoir, isn't it? You you talk about your own experience and obviously you bring in science and religion and theology and all sorts of things. But um, in some ways, it's probably the most in-depth that I've got to read about you, about your story. And so I suppose one of the questions lots of people have been asking me, um, and I know a little bit more just from having read the book, but was your conversion one definitive moment or were there lots of little points along the way that sort of gradually led you from atheism towards theism?
1: I think there were were points. There were a series of points. For example, I began to think, um, you know, I'm very critical of religious people. I ask them to prove there's a God and they can't. But actually, if they were to turn back to me and say, Alistair, can you prove there is no God? Well, the answer would be no. And, and nobody happily to me that question. But there were a series of things like that, which, if you like, um, made me realize that atheism was not as intellectually secure as I would have liked it. So I began as an atheist, became a Christian. I think there were probably several points along the road. It wasn't as if there was a sudden blinding flash. And that was it. It was much more a growing realisation. Atheism just doesn't work. And this thing called Christianity, which I haven't really understood, actually, it seems to be really rather exciting and actually it might work.
0: And was there anything in particular that you found compelling about the Christian faith or compelling about God? Was there anything that really drew you to Christianity?
1: I'm, I'm an academic, so this won't surprise you. I mean, for me, it's Christianity's ability to make sense of things. That, to me, was really important. I hadn't realised that. Um, and it was only when some people um, told me about that and when I started to read C.S. Lewis, I suddenly saw this and thought, this is so important. Now, of course, that's only one of Christianity's multiple aspects. It, it, It does so much more than that. But for me, that was the really important thing. If you like that, drew me to faith. And then everything else followed in due course. But that was how I came in. That was where I started my exploration of faith.
0: And you mentioned C.S. Lewis there. And obviously you've written quite a lot about C.S. Lewis, lots of which are on the shelf behind me. And was was there something in particular about C.S. Lewis that drew you to his writing? You know, was there something that really jumped out at you that really helped you on your journey?
1: Well, you mustn't laugh. But um, what happened was this. Um... I just become a Christian. I was asking my Christian friends all these difficult questions like, (laughs) why do you believe in the Trinity? And they they got fed up and one of them in exasperation said, Alistair, why don't you read C.S. Lewis? And I had yet didn't really recognize the name. I, I knew C.S. Lewis had written a book about lions or something. Um, but I, so anyway, I went and um, bought one of these books, sought out my conversion, and started to read it. And, and it, it was as if someone had turned the light on, as if something had clicked. And I suddenly realized, hey, this makes sense. And this guy is good. He writes well, but the ideas are great. And, you know, nearly 50 years later, I'm still reading him, still getting more out of him. He really, he's, you keep going back to him because there's so much there to discover.
0: And do you think it's partly the kind of intellectual credibility of what he's saying, but also his appeal to the imagination?
1: I think there are three things. First of all, he, he really knows what he's talking about. He writes extremely well. That's another thing to say. But you're right. He also avoids this very dull, simple appeal to reason. I mean, I value that, but there's more to it than that. And what Lewis helps us to, 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 to realize is that actually Christianity gives us a new vision of reality. It excites us. It enables us to to picture Christianity in our minds. And for a lot of people, that's really important. And Lewis, I think, brings that art so much more clearly than many.
0: And obviously, along your journey, people had answers for some of the questions that you had, and you, and you began to see that there were rationality to things that you maybe didn't think so before. But you do say in the book, and I completely agree with you, that actually we need to learn to live with a level of uncertainty. So I guess acknowledging that there are going to be some unanswered questions. I suppose that's all well and good theoretically, but how do we practically live with those unanswered questions in our life?
1: I think it's reassuring. I think that's the point I want to make, that mm-hmm. in effect, Um, What we have to do is, whether you're an atheist or a Christian, whether you're talking about religious or political or ethical views, the things in life that really matter, we cannot prove absolutely to be right. I can prove to you that two and two make four, but frankly, it's not going to make any difference to anyone. But things that really matter, we can't prove. And actually, I was an atheist who, who doubted. I think that's a very important point. People think doubt is specific to Christianity. It's not everyone's in the same boat yet we Christians are just honest about it I think that's a very important point to make and once you see that actually you stop you stop worrying about it. you realize this is just the way things are the really big things are just too big for us to uh, get our heads around and so we can learn to live with a degree of uncertainty but that does not mean we're doubting it just means that we know these things are so
2: important so massive that we cannot actually hope to prove they are right. Um, when, when I was reading the the memoir Alistair, um, there was a moment that that I found quite interesting that was evidently very significant for you. You, I think you were an undergraduate at Wadham College in in Oxford and uh, studying, obviously, biochemistry. And and it was actually a a sermon by another uh, biochemist, I think, that really put some of the pieces together for you. Could you you describe what that was and who it was? Yes. um,
1: I I, I was a scientist at Oxford and I'd just become a Christian. And obviously, I wanted to work out how can I hold my faith and my science together, or do I have to give one of them up? You know, it's, one of the, it's quite a big thing to think through. Um, and I knew that I had a lot of friends who were Christians and scientists, so I knew it could be done. But I just hadn't figured it out for myself. And then this man, Professor Charles Coulson, who was a very famous Methodist-day preacher, but also a professor of chemistry at Oxford, uh, gave this sermon in our college chapel on how he held his science and his faith together. And it was only about 10 minutes long. But, you know, I still to this day use that framework I heard nearly 50 years ago because it was so good. It was uh, this idea. You've got Christianity, which is one perspective on life, got science, which is another perspective. And you can bring these together, the different perspectives. But together, they give you this bigger insight into the whole. And actually, it was as if I went away saying I can now see this. That's wonderful. And so actually it, it made me realise that my Christianity and my faith and my so science were not opposed to each other. They could enrich each other. And that was a really important moment.
0: Charles Coulson, like you, was an academic. Well, he wasn't a theologian, but he was an academic, but also a minister. And you talk quite a lot about both in in the book, about your sort of journey through academia, but also how you went into ministerial training. How do you balance that kind of academic vigorousness? That's definitely not a word. The rigorous academy with the kind of pastoral care. How how do you sort of juggle the two?
1: I think what you have to do is to say um, I'm imagining I'm having conversations with people. And some of them will want to talk about the history of Christian theology. Some of them want to talk about um, you know the interconnection of religious ideas. A lot will want to know well, what difference does it make to my life and Therefore, what I need to do is be able to answer that question: If Christ mm-hmm. is indeed God, what difference does that make if um If I understand sin properly, how does that help me understand myself and how I deal with the various problems? And facing. So if you like, I'm trying all the time to identify the richness
2: of the Christian faith and relate that to different audiences. Well, why don't we start with some of the questions that are starting to come in? We've got we've got a great deal coming in and, and some of them I'm sure will. Um, be related to the book um, as well as we as we go along loose you've got one here i think
0: yes i mean it really follows quite nicely on from from that conversation um, andy hunt asks on the unbelievable youtube page he says how did someone with a mind like lewis live humbly as a churchgoer with attitudes and ideas that he must have disagreed with
1: Andy, that is a really good question because we know Lewis struggled with that. Lewis struggled, I think, with two things. One of them was fame. He, he, When um, he became so well-known in the late 1940s, Lewis actually really almost found it impossible to cope with being a celebrity. And he didn't know what to do with it. And eventually he found a way of dealing with it. But it really involved just saying, look, I'm not really very good. I just seem to have struck a lucky. Um, I'm not going to get too, um too, big, too um, excited about myself. I think that was a very important point, but I think also um, Lewis was very much aware that he seemed to have been given a gift and actually gifts are given in order to be used. And Lewis very much had this idea that he really needed to try and um, serve people. So you have this very, very clear rejection of any
2: celebrity culture on Lewis's part. I think it's very interesting. We've got a question here um, from from a Justin, actually, uh, Justin Dickerson. Um, And really, this relates to to what you were saying earlier, which is uh, this fact you had to come to terms with the fact you can't have necessarily a a logical proof for God or Christianity. Um, Because Justin says, I'm an agnostic and I like to look at both Christianity and atheism. So my question is, what evidence can you provide for the existence for God? And what evidence is there for the resurrection of Jesus Christ? And I suppose my question on top of that is, even with evidence, how, how if you like, where does that actually get us in terms of, you know, do, does it mean we've got some cast iron, if you like, theory <laughs> that, that, that can never be questioned? Because I suspect we're never going to get that in, in this realm, are we? No, we're not. I think the thing to realize about evidence
1: is that evidence is not one unambiguous thing. It's always lots of clues. Um, Going back to Lewis, he talks about uh, various things as clues to the meaning of the universe. And the point he's making is there are lots of things and you have to figure out what is the best way of making sense of these overall, because they could be taken to point in different directions. For example, you look at the gospel accounts of the resurrection. Some people are saying, well, the body of Christ was stolen and you know, that, that might be one way of looking at it, but of course there's a better way of looking at it. And so what I think you need to do is to say that if you're a scientist, you'll recognize immediately that we're talking about what's called inference to the best explanation. And that means, in effect, recognizing that there can be several ways of understanding some, but nevertheless, one is simpler, one's more elegant, one actually holds things together better. So I think that's the very important thing. What's the evidence of existence of God? Well, for me, it's that we are able to make so much sense of things. Actually, this really is about um, some sort of resonance between the way we think and the way the world is. And of course, if you're a Christian, that resonates so strong with the idea of humanity bearing God's image and understanding a creation that God has made. But it's not a knockdown thing. It's a, it's a realization. Actually, this makes more sense than anyone else and exploring it,
2: opening it up and realizing just how much light it casts on things. I I was going to say, Alistair, you, you, very kindly wrote the foreword to my, to my book, which was sort of my, my case for faith a few years ago. And, and looking at Justin's question there saying, he likes to look at both Christianity and atheism that's always been the the drum that i've banged which is you do need to look at both actually it's not that christianity has all of the burden of evidence and proof on itself but atheists need to make an account for the way they see the world and as i see it what you're going to be doing in the end is asking which makes best sense of reality and and i guess from your perspective you see that christianity answers more questions than than a naturalistic sort of atheistic account does I think that that's that's certainly the way I think, and it's the way I found to work
1: very very well in my own life. What I would say is that uh, there are many atheists who, of course, are, are very gracious about this, but there are some unfortunate who will say, "No, we're right. That's it. End of. You know, you're mad. You're bad. You're sad. You know." <laughs> you know and I think we need to just say, "Look, that that." Let's move away from that. It's not that simple. That's simply a dogmatic form of atheism, that there are more intelligent atheists who can see why people believe in God. They don't share that, but they can certainly see what the evidence is and why it is so attractive and so life changing. People, you know, John Gray is a very good example, of an atheist philosopher who absolutely gets it, sees why people are, are drawn to God, doesn't do it himself, but can understand why others do.
2: Just just on the second part of his question, he he did ask, do you think there's evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Where, Where do you go with that? I go with saying we have to ask, what's the best way of making
1: sense of the the New Testament accounts of what is happening? And above all, the difference it makes to the lives of the disciples. I think that is really a very important point. Something happens to, in effect, energize, to transform a bunch of traumatized people into someone who says, we found something, let's go and tell the world and change it. And that to me is, it, it doesn't prove but it's highly suggestive. It fits into this big picture we've been talking about.
0: Alistair, for for a lot of the people I speak to, I speak to a lot of youth workers, parents, things like that. And a lot of people who come into contact with you, their initial first contact is at school through reading textbooks that you've written when they're studying religious studies. And that was certainly my my experience as well. So I've had quite a few people ask me what you would say if you could to your teenage self. I know you talked about the fact that you sort of struggled with certainty and you wanted to be certain. Um, But is there anything in particular you would go back and say to your teenage self, if you could now?
1: I think there is and, and the danger is I'm going to sound very condescending but um, <laughs> you know my teenage self I'm sure would forgive me <laughs> um, I think there, there are two things I'd want to say one is that um, when I was a teenager I felt that um that believing in God was what Sigmund Freud calls a wish fulfillment you want this to be the case because you need it to be the case in other words religion was just made up because you couldn't cope with life it was an invention What I would now say to my teenage self is, look, everyone does this. That actually atheism, in one sense, is a desire there will be no God so we can do what we like. We're completely autonomous. And interestingly, many atheist philosophers will explicitly say that their desire that there should be no God precedes the arguments they develop to show that. That's one thing I would want to say. The other thing which I think I would say very, very clearly to my teenage self is that things are a bit more complicated than you thought and one of the reasons i was drawn to atheism was because it was so simple no god end of discussion but you know by closing that question down you have to open up so many others and i think one of the things i'd want to say is that um, as you get older it becomes much easier to cope with complexity with uncertainty with ambiguity and you begin to realize life makes a lot more sense when you do that so that's something i don't think i was ready to hear when i was 16 or 17 years old
0: how do you explain to Muslims, other believers, and, and in fact, even some Christians that we have one God and not three, especially as you know, we read in Scripture that Jesus in heaven will sit at the right hand of God, the Father?
1: Well, you know, when I was an atheist, the Trinity was one of the reasons why I was an atheist, because it makes no sense. It's bad celestial mathematics. <laughs> um, and I just I said, what is this nonsense? It Makes no sense at all. It's rubbish. And then uh, I began to realize what this was all about. So I'll tell you what it's all about and then answer the question. It's all about realizing that that God is so amazing, so massive, that actually we cannot do just terms. We've got to try and weave together the enormously rich biblical witness to God as creator, redeemer, sustainer, as present at creation, as there in Christ redeeming the world and present through the Spirit now. All of these things are true. And what you've got to do is make sure you hold all of these together and don't lose anything. And the Trinity is really an attempt to hold the whole thing together and say, this is the Christian vision of God. It is so hard to compartmentalize it, so hard to take it in. But then do you expect the human mind to take in something as rich as God? The Trinity is really a safety doctrine saying, here are the things you need to hold together. Don't lose anything. They're all very, very precious. So to Muslims, no, Christians don't believe in three gods. They believe in a wonderful single God, but a God of immense richness, which means we are forced to, in effect, talk about him using these different ways of thinking. So it's not about um, you know, breaking God down into little bits. It is it is saying, let us do all we can to hold this massive vision of God together. And in fact, that's why Christians worship Because there's this wonderful vision of God, which actually overwhelms us and makes us think that maybe since we can't really understand this properly, we can at least worship this God. So for me, it's really very exciting indeed. Mm. The danger is always that we reduce God to, to a manageable concept, to something we can take in. And in many ways, what God try and do is say we need rather to try and expand our minds to take in God fully. And if we can't do that, then at least let's say here are the essential things we need to say about God and we can't lose sight of any of them. Maybe simpler to lose one or two of them, but it's not the Christian God we're talking about anymore.
0: Thank you for listening to this special episode of the C.S. Lewis podcast with Professor Alistair McGrath. I'm Ruth Jackson, and if you enjoyed this podcast, then please don't forget to like, rate and subscribe on whatever podcast platform you use. You've been listening to an extract from a live stream that we recorded with Alistair during one of the coronavirus lockdowns here in the UK. The programme was originally broadcast on Unbelievable in October 2020, and I'll include a link in the podcast notes if you want to listen back to the whole Q&A. If you would like to get your hands on a free copy of one of Alistair's books about CS Lewis, then we would love you to post about this new CS Lewis podcast on social media. Use the hashtag CS Lewis Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram and include a link to our website, cslewispodcast.com. Over this first series of the CS Lewis podcast, Alistair and I will be looking at some of Lewis's thoughts around significant topics such as education, suffering, and the hope of heaven. Next week, we'll focus on Lewis's thoughts around apologetics.